Well, today we come to the fourth disputation, rhetorical disputation in the book of Malachi. We're going through a series in Malachi, if you're new with us. And this is the fourth rhetorical disputation. And God's people are questioning God's justice. And he's got a response for them in this passage at the end of chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Malachi 2, starting in verse 17. I'll read through chapter three, verse five. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, and the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him now as we seek to understand his word. Father in heaven, in a passage like this where we hear of your judgment, it can be very weighty. It's a very weighty thing to us, Lord, and and we ask that you would help us to come to your word humbly, that we might tremble at your word, that we might esteem it highly, that we might hear from you and that we might hear your word for us this morning. No matter where we've come in from, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Help us to be shaped by you through your word. Let your Holy Spirit do his work in our hearts even now. We pray that in the name and the authority of our Lord Jesus, amen. Well, if you have lived in this area for any amount of time, you are familiar with tornado warnings. We just had one, most of us, depending on where you live, if you're in DuPage County, most of us had one just this last Monday. There was a tornado warning. Tornado warnings are loud, and they're quite annoying at times. Uh, they, they come on your phone, and if you're not used to it, you, you just kind of jump. If you live near sirens somewhere, it's, it's very, very loud. But when we think about tornado warnings, we we typically respond in one of a few ways. First, we can ignore them. We can kind of think, you know, this is, it's a false alarm. 
There's no, no use in paying attention. Or second, we can just be annoyed by them because they are so loud and they're, they're kind of disruptive in our days. We're, we've got stuff to do, we're working, we're, we're doing whatever, and, and it causes us to change our behaviors. Or we can be thankful for them. Be thankful for them and respond to them and, and go to the basement and go to shelter. And when it comes to God's warnings in his word, we can often respond in the very same way as we do to tornado warnings. We can ignore these warnings. We can think, you know, I'm gonna pass over Malachi and some of the hard parts of scripture. I just don't wanna think about that. Or we can be annoyed by these warnings, thinking, well, that's gonna kinda really affect my life. And I don't like that. Or we can respond. We can respond to his warnings and, and take heed. And today in God's word, uh, we are gonna receive a warning of God's judgment. And how we respond to that warning is a matter of life and death. If you haven't been with us, by way of reminder, the people in Malachi's time were back in the promised land but they were complacent in their faith. They were offering faulty offerings to the Lord. They were questioning his love for them. They were disobedient in their behavior. And now as we get to the end of chapter two, they are questioning his justice in the world. They're wondering where is God when we see all this evil around? And right off the bat, we need to admit that for us today, it's quite tempting to think in these same ways when it comes to God's justice. We can question it. We can wonder where it is when we see evil winning in our society. When we see so many injustices of our world on so many levels. And we can wonder, what God are you doing amidst it all? And so God's word through Malachi, though written over 2,000 years ago, still has a relevant word for us today. And our call in this passage boils down to three words. So if you take notes, I'm making it easy for you. Three words, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord but to honor him, to worship him above all else, to respond to him in obedience, to um, tremble at his power and his judgment that is coming. And this passage breaks down into three main sections and out of each one, we get an insight in how we can fear the Lord in this passage. Three ways we can fear the Lord. First, by thinking rightly about him. We see that in verse 17. Second, we can fear the Lord by responding to his covenant messenger. We see that in chapter three, uh, verses one to four. And then third, we can fear the Lord by living in light of his coming. We see that in verse five. So let's first consider how we can fear the Lord by thinking rightly about him. Because if we think of the people at Ma in Malachi's time, they were not thinking rightly about the Lord. Look at verse 17. What does the Lord say? You have wearied the Lord with your words. What a remarkable sentence of scripture this is. This one that revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, who is 
slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, the one who revealed himself in Isaiah as the one who never grows weary or faint. This one is wearied with the words of his people. Well, what does that mean? We, we know what it can't mean. We know that the Lord never grows tired. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He doesn't grow weary like humans. So what is this weariness? Well, the text gives us some insight still in verse 17 through this question they're having of him. Well, how have we wearied him? He, said, he answers there in verse 17 by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Here we see that God's weariness stems from his people's words. Specifically, words that reveal that they don't know him accurately. Here we see that as a nation, God's people were believing lies about God. And it wearied the Lord that his people had misunderstood him by such a long shot. They weren't even close to understanding who this God was. So let's look more carefully at what's wrong with their words. First, that statement there in the text, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. What was happening here was likely God's people were seeing evil people prosper all around them. And they were thinking, well, maybe God's not gonna judge them. Maybe actually he might be pleased with them because they seem to be prospering. So God, maybe you have blessed them. You see, their theological framework was way off. It was misguided. They thought that good circumstances equaled God's favor, that trials were a sign of God's judgment. So they had the wrong template about God and his character and how he operates in the world. And friends, we can have the same template in our minds today. Sometimes we can compare ourselves to others people who don't know the Lord, and, and they seem to be prospering. They, they have good jobs. They don't seem to be suffering loss like we are. Or we can look at celebrities and we can think, wow, they're rich and famous and talented. They've got everything that I want. What's wrong with me? Why is their life so easy? It's a wrong template. Well, the second round of words of God's people come in the form of a question. And they were equally disturbing to God. So listen to what they say. They say, where is the God of justice? Where is he? We see evil prospering all around. Where is the God of justice? What an absurd statement. Can you think of the absurdity of that statement? Here are God's people, the ones who had been given the very promises of God who had seen him deliver time and time again with his justice. It was on full display throughout history. Even before there is a nation, they saw that the story of Noah and God's justice that brought the worldwide flood and destroyed everyone, saved Noah. They saw God's justice in Sodom and Gomorrah when righteous Lot and a few others were saved. They saw God's justice when Egypt was destroyed by the plagues and his people were delivered. They saw God's justice when they came into the promised land and God judged the evil peoples of that land and they were able to dwell in it. 
This people had a great heritage. They had God's great promises. And now they were thinking, well, what have you done for us lately? Where, where, where is your justice? What are you doing in the world? And at the heart of it, God's people were really questioning his very existence, his power, his ability to act. They were asking, where are you, Lord? What are you doing? They had forgotten the God that they had served. They had forgotten who he was. And we can fall into this same or similar trap if we're not careful today. We can look around at our world and we can wonder, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything about those people who are killing babies? Why aren't you doing anything about those who are being human trafficked, sexually trafficked? Why aren't aren't you doing anything? What about all these refugees, Lord? How is this fair? Look at the oppression of world regimes and, and, and all the injustices in our world. What are you doing? I wonder if secretly you question in the same way, God, where are you? Where are you? Are you a God of justice? Well, as God's people were questioning this, nothing could be further from the truth. Friends, I don't want you to misunderstand. God is not weary with you when you question or wrestle with his work in the world when it doesn't seem to make sense. There are many things in this world where God invites us to come to him and ask him and explore And we see that throughout his whole word. Even Jesus, when he was on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22. He he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or the psalmist in Psalm 78, he, he, he was envious of the wicked when he saw their prosperity. So these examples from God's word give us freedom to question the injustice that we see in our world, when it's done in good faith, when we're coming to the Lord for answers. But what wearies the Lord is when his people who are living in direct disobedience to him and sin play armchair God. And they think they can throw out these indictments about God without any consequence. It wearies the Lord when his people really aren't trying to understand him. They're really not trying to obey him, but instead they pronounce judgment upon him. That wearies the Lord. And God has revealed himself to us so clearly in his word. We have the entire testimony of scripture that shows us what he is like. And this is a really important point that I want us to pay attention to. God's word needs to be what guides our understanding of who God is and what he is like, and not our limited personal experience or our current circumstances or our, uh, what we have seen in the world. We don't see the full picture. Not what our world says about the evils of the world's injustices or what our friends think about all these injustices. Those things cannot guide our understanding of God. So I wonder right now how you might be thinking wrongly about the Lord. Maybe you're doubting that he's doing anything about injustice like we've talked about. 
Or maybe you have given up hope that, that his work is gonna be successful in this world. You kind of just say, well, the world's <laughs> it's, it's gone. It's gone down the drain. I'm just looking to heaven. Or maybe you have uh, given God, you have forgotten his power and you have doubted his promises. If we want to think rightly about him, we need to go back to his word. We need to see how he has revealed himself in his word, and that's what we need to believe, not how we imagine him to be. Well, as the text moves to the next section here, the Lord gives his response, and in these next verses, starting in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, a second way that we can fear the Lord emerges, and that's by responding to his covenant messenger. Look there in verse one. The Lord doesn't hesitate with his response to his people. He says, behold, I send a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. If you look on your bulletins there, it says, my messenger, Malachi, my messenger. That's what Malachi means. He's my messenger. So here, God is foreshadowing a greater messenger, one that he will send, his messenger that will prepare the way before him. In the ancient world, it was very common that if a king or someone of high status came into a city, he would send a messenger ahead. Uh, a modern example of this, not a, not a one-to-one, so don't kind of like come after me later in the, the services, uh, if you've ever seen Aladdin, have you ever seen Aladdin? Uh, and Prince Ali is coming into this city, and then the genie, you know, he, there's quite a dramatic scene if you've ever seen the movie, especially the, the recent one, but he's preparing the way for Prince Ali to come, and he's letting people know that the king, or in this case, the prince was coming. Was the greatest king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the lord here says that he will send his messenger ahead, He will send his messenger ahead of him, and we know who that messenger is because in the Gospel of Luke, this verse is quoted, Malachi 3, 1, and he's identified this messenger as none other than John the Baptist. He was sent ahead to pave the way for the great king that was coming into the world. And as God's messenger, he preached a message of repentance to ready people for that king. Well, let's keep reading in the text. It says, and the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You see, God's people wanted justice to be done. They were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a Messiah, one that was promised in their scriptures that would come and bring restoration to Israel. And they thought this was the one they delighted in. This was the one they sought after. They thought when the Messiah would come, all the Israel's enemies would be vanquished. But there's a surprise when he comes. It says here, well, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. 
Friends, here Malachi is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. He was the Lord whom they were seeking after. But the surprise is that this, when this covenant messenger comes, when the Lord whom they are seeking comes, no one would be able to stand. Not even God's people. No one would be clean enough or holy enough to be in his presence. And so he's described in two ways that would be familiar to that audience, but less so for us. He's described as a refiner's fire. The refiner's fire was heated so hot that it could melt metal and burn away the impurities, the dross there. Second, he is like a fuller's soap. A fuller, I don't think we have any fullers in the audience, I don't know. It's uh, someone who would clean garments and they would clean garments. There wasn't really soap in these days. It was probably something called lye. And he would clean the garment so that it was pure white with no dirt or filth. What Malachi is getting at here is that through these illustrations that this messenger of the covenant would be one who would purify or cleanse his people. He would separate the impure or the filth from among them on a macro level, on a national level, with this whole people, and he would also, on a micro level, make them holy and pure, individually. Do you remember Jesus' first words when he came to earth in his public ministry? He said in the book of Mark, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, when Jesus came, he was saying that that Lord whom you seek has come, the messenger of the covenant from Malachi that you've read about, that you delight in, he's here, and it's me, and I have come to purify a people for my own possession as you repent and believe. We may be sitting here thinking like God's people back in Malachi's time, that the coming of God's justice is a good thing. We're, we're saying, God, God, come. Come get him, Lord. We want him to bring justice in the world. And he will bring justice. But what we fail to realize in that statement is that God's justice is comprehensive. Not just for the people out there. All those bad people that you see on the news. But his justice is coming in here for us as well. God's justice is coming in the form of judgment for our sins, down to the every errant word, every careless thought, and every secret, uh, hidden secret, which, which means that we need deliverance, just like everyone else. We want God's justice, but we need to face the fact that God's justice is coming for us as well. And I wonder this morning if you know this refining power of Jesus Christ. Have you realized your inadequacy to stand before him? Or do you think that justice needs to only be applied to those people out there? Because Jesus has come and he has absorbed the justice of God which was judgment and punishment for our sins. 
in his own body on the cross, he has died and his resurrection power proves that this payment was accepted once for all, that death no longer holds him, that sin has been defeated. And so when we repent, when we believe in him, as Jesus said when he first came, then Jesus gives us a new heart. He gives us grace. And he, br- he brings that refining power into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit that cleanses us from our sin. Remember how the, the old song put it, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So Jesus is God's solution to injustice. He has come the first time to give his very life and stand in the place of us who deserve God's justice and judgment upon us. And he is coming a second time to take his people home, yes, but also to judge the world. And once we have come to Jesus by his grace, Throughout our lives, he continues to refine us through trials of various kinds by exposing our hearts to sin and and calling us to repentance and confession and by calling us to take steps of faith to him in obedience. He calls us in his grace and then he refines us and he makes us like his son. Well, the result of this purification process of Jesus, it is so very beautiful. Look at verse three with me. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Here Malachi is foreseeing a future day. A day when those priests who, when Jared preached a couple weeks ago, we learned were offering faulty offerings before the Lord. They will no longer be despised, as it was described there in chapter one. He's foreseeing a time when the nation as a whole, he's saying Judah, Jerusalem, basically all of my people will be able to offer pleasing offerings, which was not happening as we learned last week. God was not pleased with their offerings. The question is, when will this time come? Well, it's when the messenger of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, will dwell with those who believe in him, when he gives them his own righteousness. And friends, that time has come now. The the prophecy has been fulfilled. That means that all of us who believe in Jesus are his royal priesthood, and we can bring him pure offerings because we have been bought with a price. We have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and our offerings are pleasing to him. David says in Psalm 51 that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and that a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. And that's how we must come to him in brokenness and in contrition as spiritual beggars needing food and a home. But our sacrifices in response to his grace are pleasing to him now. 
If we have been washed by the blood of Jesus, we can offer these sacrifices. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says that we can offer, continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So when we worship on Sunday morning and as we sing out to him and as you pray to the Lord in your personal time or with others, God is pleased with those offerings. He accepts those offerings. They're like incense before him, it says in the book of Revelation. There in Hebrews it goes on and it says that as we do good and share what we have, those are sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And as Jared mentioned a couple weeks ago in Hebrews 12, our very lives are now sacrifices. We're living sacrifices that God is so pleased with as we live in faith to him. Well, where is this God of justice? He's come down to us through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he's not far off, but he's very near. And he's refining us. He's removing the dross from the pure metal. He is cleansing us to, for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, to make us more like his son, Jesus. And if we want to fear the Lord, we must respond to his covenant messenger, who is Jesus. Well, now as we get to the end of the passage in verse five, we're confronted with the final way that we can fear the Lord. And that's by living in light of his coming judgment. It's as if, the God, it's as if God is now answering the first complaint of his people, which to remind you is that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And nothing could be further from the truth. That is not who God is. He explains his position in verse five. He says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Remember, his people are wondering, where is this God of justice? Where is he? God's answer is, the God of justice is near and he will judge those who transgress his law and refuse to repent. Doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter uh, the family that you come from or your national identity. This is a description of the other side of that refinement process when Jesus first came. It's the side for those who don't trust in Jesus by faith. Verse five is a picture of judgment. It was surely fulfilled in some ways back then but it's really looking ahead to the final judgment. And the Lord says that he will be a swift witness against those who have committed the social evils of their day. If you notice this list, it's not the, it could be a lot worse, some of the things he listed, but he's listing the social evils of their day. The sorcerers or fortune tellers who were outlawed in Israel. It's the adulterers who were included in the people that we talked about last week who were unfaithful to their wives. It's the oppressors, the oppressors of workers or the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. God uses those terms to talk about the least of these, the most vulnerable in society. God's heart for the most vulnerable is uh, so strong. He is a strong defender 
of, uh, of those who oppress his weak ones. And he will bring justice for those responsible. And then it says these are all people who do not fear the Lord. That's really a blanket term from, for all of these people. They were not fearing the Lord. But if you notice, if you ever read the prophets, God's timing is not our timing. When the prophets like Malachi looked into the future, they saw these things happening one after another. He's gonna send his messenger and then the messenger of the covenant and then there's gonna be this judgment. But you'll notice that these very few verses in our passage represent a huge periods of time. Over 400 years passed from God's promise to send his messenger in chapter three, verse one, to when Jesus and John the Baptist came. And now, since they've left the earth and uh, since their time to now, it's been over 2,000 years and God's final judgment still hasn't come, still not here. Well, the apostle Peter addresses this concern in 2 Peter 3, and we're gonna be in 2 Peter 3 here in a bit, uh, for a bit. He says in verse three that scoffers will come in the last days. By the way, we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days ever since Jesus died and rose again. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We see that all, the, all around in our society. God's not bringing justice. Most people are even questioning God and his justice that might come. They don't even necessarily believe in God. But don't be deceived. God's justice and judgment is coming hasn't come yet. But Peter says in that same passage, it's not because the Lord is dragging his feet. Listen to what he says later in that passage, Second Peter 3. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. How kind and gracious and loving is our God. He has delayed his final judgment so that more and more people might repent and be saved. What would be just is when we sin, he would judge our sins right then and there. But he doesn't and he hasn't. He has given us his grace and we should count his patience, Peter says, as salvation. But don't be fooled. Judgment is coming, and it's at a time you don't expect. Again, Peter, in 2 Peter 3, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works and all that are done on it will be exposed. And this is the picture there in Peter that's, that's uh, shown here in Malachi 3, verse 5. It's talking about this. The Lord will be both a witness and a judge upon those who transgress his ways and break his commands. And his judgment will be swift. So what is the application for us in this verse? Well, there's application for all of us. First, if you're 
not yet a follower of Jesus or if you're wandering in the faith or maybe you're running in the other direction from the Lord Jesus. What a gift this passage is to you. It's a warning of coming judgment upon you. And trust me, it is coming. It's giving you a picture of your fate apart from Christ. God has given you the ability today to hear his word and graciously is calling you to repent. Even now, don't delay. You don't have tomorrow promised to you. Turn to Jesus before it's too late. And for those of us who do trust in Jesus, our call is a call to holiness. Remember what Peter says, I'm I'm still in 2 Peter 3, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? Friends, if we remember the judgment that is coming upon this earth and the judgment that is coming upon all people as God's people, that is a great motivator towards holiness because the Lord is coming and and you may be in a state of a season of life of saying, you know, yeah, I'll get back to the Lord at some point. It's just a hard stage of life. At some point, I'm just gonna, I'm just kind of coasting right now, but I'll get back to him. Perhaps you have forgotten your primary calling to glorify God as, and to be holy as he is holy. So let this passage recalibrate your heart. Let this passage uh, cause you to, your heart to break for those who don't yet know Jesus. It's hard to stay complacent when you think about the judgment of God that is coming and you think of your neighbor who doesn't yet know him. It's hard to think of you just watching a movie on Saturday night and not thinking about how that person can come to know the Lord. Well, warnings of coming destruction are gracious gifts to us. It's true of tornado warnings, but on a much grander scale, it's true of God's warning of coming judgment. And yes, God's judgment is coming upon the earth. That's crystal clear throughout all the testimony of scripture. But God has been so gracious to us to send his son Jesus so that we can escape the wrath to come and we are cleansed if we trust in him. We are are not guilty, we are not subject to his wrath. What a glorious thought. So remember that if you know the Lord Jesus and if you don't, let today be the day that you repent and believe. So cling to him today. Allow his Holy Spirit to guide you into greater holiness. It's he who gives you the strength to do so. We serve a holy God. He's the God of justice. But let us rejoice today that he's also God of love and mercy and grace who will save countless millions for his glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are sobered by texts such as this. These are texts that often we want to pass over and not think about. But Lord, you have given them to us in your word so that we might be warned. We might know who you are in reality, not uh, in the way that we make you up to be in our minds. 
So Lord, I pray today that everyone here would respond to you. Lord, you are so gracious. Some just need to remember your mercy and how you have saved them. And what a, what a joy that is. And others, Lord, need to be very uncomfortable because they are under your wrath. So Lord, help them to reach out and receive your mercy even today. We pray that you would uh, do your work in your way as we respond to your word. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.